0: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Just wanted to take a brief moment to give you guys a little idea how we do it here at Paddle and Fin Podcast. We use the anchor.fm recording platform. Super easy, distributes our podcasts to many, many different platforms. There's creation tools to allow you to record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. Check out anchor.fm or download the free Anchor app to get started.
2: This segment is brought to you by Jigmaster Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Use promo code PNF20 to save 20% off your jig order. Welcome to the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. This is the final cast segment with your hosts, Brad Hicks and Josh Eldridge, where we cast our final opinions on all products, good and bad. Welcome to the final cast.
3: Welcome back to the Paddle and Fin Network. This is the final cast. I'm your host, Josh. I'm Brad. And tonight we have an epic guest, Glenn Young from Z-Man. Glenn, how are you doing tonight?
4: Epic. That's quite a title, right there. I'm gonna have to add that on my business card. <laughs> hey, man! All of our guests are epic, man. We we treat our oh, guests so like well, never mind. Seer. I'm not that special, I guess. Oh uh, right? no,
2: <laughs> you you are. All of our guests are awesome. I'm Way down, to ruin man. it, Brad. Jeez.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Glenn no. uh, decided to sit down and talk ChatterBaits. Because yep. you know why? That is literally Brad's favorite bait. Bat- Brad <laughs> won his first tournament and only tournament, right? You've only won one <laughs> with yeah. the chatterbait.
4: Yeah. but He uh, uh, had to bring he- that up, didn't he? Yeah.
3: Well, it was an impressive win. It was actually last year in the spring for a uh, river tournament that ended up turning into a lake tournament because mm-hmm. of the awful wa- uh, weather that we had last year during the spring and beginning of summer. Mm-hmm. And Brad... Uh, put on a showing for everybody and basically showed everybody how a chatterbait <laughs> needs to be thrown in muddy six foot you know above
2: pool type of water so you put kind on of a where clip. it shines yeah. yeah everybody started me started calling me bait after that
4: <laughs> <laughs> i'm not gonna touch that
2: <laughs> so
3: glenn why don't you go ahead and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself what you do for z-man and sure you know whatever else you'd like to share
4: Sure. I'm the national sales manager for Z-Man. I also handle all international sales as well. Um, And I've been with Z-Man for a little over 10 years now. Uh, Prior to that, I was with uh, Shakespeare uh, for a little while. And prior to that, I ran Gamakatsu for 10 years. And before that, I worked about a a decade as a full-time guide, rep, instructor, instructor, uh, tournament caster everything mostly on the fly fishing side of things because that's kind of how i got my start in the business i started as a kid um with a fly tying company when i was 12 uh, me hmm. and a friend of mine started a fly tying company in oregon and basically just tied flies for sporting goods stores all around the northwestern u.s and at kinda, the age of 12 yeah that's when we nice. started yeah well it was well it was mostly because we loved fly fishing but our parents wouldn't buy us the equipment we really wanted and they said look if you want to buy this stuff you know we'll support you but you know you got to work for it so we started tying flies professionally and did that all the way through high school it was great we made a lot of money spent every penny we ever made um never saved any of it because we blew it (laughs) all on fishing equipment which was the whole point of the deal to begin with and um, it was fantastic. And, and me and my partner are still, we're still best friends to this day. And we're both still in the industry, actually. He's, he works on the travel side of things and he's managed lodges and stuff. And, you know, I kind yeah. of uh, went off when I got out of the military. I kind of get, got back into the uh, fishing thing as, as a guide and fly fishing instructor and tournament caster and all that. And I've, I guess, you know, I've, I've been a lifer in this industry only because I have a passion for it. I love fishing, period
3: heck yeah, man! That's awesome. It's awesome that you got started with a company like that, and you guys started your own business at such a young age and stuck with it all this time. And you get a, you know, it's like they say, you won't work a day in your life if you do, uh, you know, something that you love. And you know, that's pretty cool. It's it's a uh, it's
4: very true it's something it's very a lot true. of
3: us anglers would love to do, but not. It's not yeah. in our cards, is it, Brad?
4: <laughs> no, Brad's a,
3: Brad's a carpenter by trade, and I work in the steel industry, so.
4: But I'll tell you what, I'll guarantee you, you guys probably fish more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've
2: I've always thought about that. I didn't know how uh, much people in the industry actually do get to fish.
4: It's uh, honestly, it's not as often as you'd think. Um, for me, being in the industry as long as I have, I've been on numerous television shows and I've appeared on a lot of different YouTube videos and things like that over the years for different companies. And I've been fortunate. I've been able to travel the world doing this. And so people who know me know me from the videos that I've been in. So that's all they know of me. There are no videos of me sitting in front of spreadsheets all day. Mm -hmm. There are only videos of me fishing and catching fish. So they assume that's what I what I do. And granted, I do get to fish a fair amount. I've had the opportunity to fish a lot of great places. But and this is what I tell people. I do seminars for colleges and high schools and stuff, too. And First question I'll ask these guys when I walk into a room, because a lot of them who know me, I walk in and I'm a rock star to these guys. So I walk in and I ask them one question. How many of you in this room want my job? And every hand goes up. And I say, (laughs) okay, now let's get something straight. Before you make your career choices, let's understand there are two things you will not get in this industry. The first is wealthy. The mm-hmm. second is time to fish. So you better keep that in mind before you decide to jump into this business full time. You know, yeah. and like you said, there are worse businesses to be in, but the fact is, I don't get to fish as often as people think I do. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's true.
4: Yeah. Um, you hear that
2: often, also. I still
4: enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, that, that's just the fact. I mean, this is a business. And, you know, most of the time I'm busy running the business,
0: and that's yeah. what I
4: do. <laughs> yeah you you mentioned international too right yeah i do yeah i do all the international sales as well um that was awesome i think in 2015 i got to spend a couple of weeks in australia um because we're the number one lure brand there and have been for many years and i got to go down there and, and train up a bunch of the salespeople and stuff down there and i got an opportunity to fish while i was there and film some videos and stuff with guys and this year i get to go to europe um, for the european tackle show so i mean i've I've been fortunate when i was with gamakatsu i got to go to japan a few times and you know i've i've been very very fortunate i have you know so it's not like oh i never get to fish and this job sucks i mean it's it's a (laughs) you know it's a great gig i just don't get to fish as much as i would really like to because i love fishing that's awesome
3: so Uh, kind of going off what you were just talking about with visiting Japan, I've always kind of had, you know, you see that there's a lot of, um, you know, fishing lure tackle companies that are based out of Japan. And, um, is it as big as it is here uh, in Japan?
4: Um, I wouldn't say it's as big as it is here only because of the population base and the access to fishing that they have, um, from what we see on our end. We presume that it is huge and fishing is a huge part of their life over there, right. but the bass fishing part of it is very, very small. Most of their fishing is done in saltwater. And um, if you ever want to see some really funny videos, go look up IU fishing in Japan, because I mean, that's one of the things that they do over there and some of the rivers they have there. Um, and it's where they're using a telescoping rod that's like 25 to 30 feet long and They've got a live IU on the other end of it that's got hooks hanging all over it that they lower into another hole to snag another IU that tries to attack it. And then they (laughs) throw it into a tiny little net in the air. So it's a a crazy crazy fishery. And they spend thousands upon thousands of dollars to do it. But the thing with the Japanese tackle industry, and I think the thing that most of us here in the West have learned to appreciate, is their craftsmanship. Yeah. Um, You know, when they sit down to design a lure or a method or anything like that, it's very, very detailed, very precise. I mean, they don't just rush something to market. They test it for a long time. And there's a lot that goes into every bit of it. It's probably a lot more artful over there than a lot of the lure businesses here. Right.
3: Yeah, I mean, you kind of see some some of the companies out there they'll start cutting us corners with the cheaper hooks and yep. you know just a you know it's well known in the industry how a lot of people as soon as they buy a jerk bait they're switching out the hooks of it so right. yeah i've always i've i've been a subscriber for mystery tackle box and there's mm-hmm. a huge difference in the american made products versus the japanese products as far right. as like the hardware that comes already installed on your lures and it's It's kind of crazy to see the difference. And like you said, the craftsmanship that you see and even like the attention to color and detail within, it's just second to none, really, when it comes down to it.
4: Well, there's a huge pride factor involved for them, too. I mean, they're not going to put something out that anybody would want to perceive as junk. You know, I mean, working for Gamakatsu for 10 years, I learned that in the hook industry. I mean, you could say it's just bending wire and putting a point on the end. But the amount of time and care and thought that they put into every single hook that they ever engineered, designed, or built Mm -hmm. is what put them on the map. It wasn't just, let's run some wire through a mill and, hey, here's a pointy thing and I hope it holds up for you. I mean, they (laughs) took their time and crafted every single hook that they made. They were, by far, when I started with them, they were nothing. I mean, nobody knew who they were, and people were telling me, "Man, ain't no way nobody, nobody's gonna spend two ninety nine on a pack of hooks." <laughs> <Sure>. And <laughs> right, and now you look paying at them. now for a pack of yeah. hooks, right? You'd yeah. love to pay two ninety nine for a pack of hooks, yeah. But, especially, you know, Yama but back you. then, right? <laughs> yeah, but back yeah. then, nobody would even conceive of spending money, that kind of money, on a hook, until you explained them as like, well, all right, you spent how much on your rod? How much on your reel? You made sure you bought the best line that there was on the market so it wouldn't mm-hmm. break. And you really want to put a piece of crap hook at the end of all of that? The one piece that has to hold on to what you just spent a p- fortune to pursue? Right. No. Yeah. You know, it's like, no, you really want to. That's the most important part of the whole thing. Right, right yeah. there.
2: That in the line.
4: That's yes. <laughs> and so that's really kind of what got got makatsu going was that whole perceived quality you know and it's still there i mean they you know they engineer their own steel they do everything right there in their own facility they don't farm stuff out they don't source stuff out to other countries you know they yeah they take pride in the fact that they craft everything yeah nice so
3: glenn happens to be a kayak fisherman as well Yeah. Uh, glenn parkour. said that he is a 99.9 percent kayak fisherman yep and uh so uh you want to tell us how you got into kayak fishing what uh what kind of boat you got going on right now
4: i couldn't afford a boat so that's what got me into kayak fishing (laughs) (laughs) same
2: here (laughs) exactly what a lot of us do really
4: simple i mean i i started fishing out of kayaks in the northwest when i was living out there and uh and i just found it so convenient because i could launch it anywhere right Um, there were a lot of creeks and rivers and places that I could get to in my kayak that the guys in boats just couldn't get to. And I found that the gas was a lot cheaper in my kayak too. Didn't cost (laughs) nearly as much to fill that up. And so I mean, I've always just been, I, even when I was a kid, I mean, me and my buddy fished out of float tubes forever, you know, we didn't buy boats and stuff. We fished out of float tubes, you know, and even back and I'll tell you a funny float float tube story um when we first bought our float tubes in 79 that's going back away. people <laughs> didn't know what those were and they would see us out in the water and they were just like y'all got a motor under that thing how you getting around they couldn't understand the concept of yeah. having little scuba fins and moving around and the one time that that actually came in handy for me was when i was stationed in san antonio i used to go out and fish a place called calaveras lake and i would take my float tube out there which the first thing you have to understand when you fish a float tube Anywhere in Texas is you realize that you're a rest stop for water moccasins. Oh. So you have, to, you have to be armed because they're out there swimming around. They just see an island. It's like, oh, thank God, an island. And they <laughs> see you as an opportunity to rest. Yeah. But I was fishing off the face of the dam, and I was annihilating the stripers. And this boat saw me killing the these stripers. So he immediately started motoring. It wasn't even a fishing boat. It was just a giant pleasure boat. And he started to plow towards me. And I'm turning around looking at this guy like, oh, my God, are you serious? And the guy on the bow of the boat turned back to the guy driving it and threw his hands up in the air, waving at him to stop. Whoa, whoa, stop, stop, stop. And he looks at me and he says, are you standing up out there? (laughs) And I immediately said, yeah. It's super shallow. I don't think I'd bring that big boat in here if I were you. I said, oh my god, thanks, man. And they turned around and left.
2: That's awesome. Nice. They
4: didn't understand that it was 60 feet deep where I was fishing right there. But that's those were details that I didn't need to tell them. So I've always kind of been that kind of an angler. The guy that's you know, I like the access. I like having control over where I can launch and where I can put in. And For me, it's just always been kayaks and you know, I, I just, that's probably the way I'll always be. I love fishing out of a kayak. Awesome.
2: Uh, you mentioned you had a native uh, Propel 10.
4: I do. Yeah, I recently bought that. Um I've had it for just a couple of months now, Um, and I absolutely love it. I mean, for a 10-foot boat, it is incredibly stable. You know, because okay, uh... I can stand up and, you know, and flip patties and stuff like that with it. Um, when I'm fishing saltwater with it, um, having that pedal drive when you're in a current situation in tide water and stuff. oh, It's so nice being able to control, you know, where I can go and all that and not have to paddle constantly and then set the paddles down and then cast. I mean, I, I have an anchor system for it and I hardly ever use it because yeah. I don't need to. I can control myself so well with that, that pedal drive system. That even on windy days on a lake or stuff, I very rarely have to use the anchor, and mm. I absolutely love that feature about that boat. You know, just for a ten foot boat, it fits easily in my garage, loads in the back of my pickup truck. It takes me literally—I timed it two minutes—to load that boat in the back of my truck, strap it down, and leave. That's it's not bad. You know, it's, no, it's not bad at all. <laughs> so it's just um, not me. It takes me forever so to get convenient. ready, doesn't it, Brad? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah it's all good though it's all good
4: no i i absolutely love it it's it's really spoiled me having that having that boat now um the places i've been able to fish with it you know i can launch anywhere with a boat yeah. like that and and i love that factor and you know living here in charleston we fish a lot of salt water here for redfish and speckled mm-hmm. trout and you know and having that boat just affords me the ability to get places that a lot of the other boats really just can't get to as easily as I can.
3: Heck yeah, that seems to be the uh, the trend with kayak fishermen. What, what you know, kind of, we all get attracted to is that that ability to reach those hard to reach places, and also like you you touched on, it's it's cost effective. You know, like yeah, a lot of people get sticker so. shock really over some of the prices of pedal drives, but in the long run, you're not you know getting motorboats up and down those small creeks those rivers and even with a lake man even with like if it has you know a packed boat ramp you could still usually launch somewhere close to there you know yeah not even have to wait so
4: a lot of it just comes down to accessibility and i think that's the biggest benefit of having a kayak (laughs) like that is accessibility just there's so many more places that i can have access Mm -hmm. to with that kind of a boat that you just can't have with a big boat yeah
3: well, we're yeah, gonna and go ahead. Have it's worth it. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's get into some ChatterBait talk. What do you think, Brad?
2: Yeah, man, I, I'd like to uh, go into where the ChatterBait started exactly. Okay. Yeah, like the the original. Uh,
1: I guess the
4: original ChatterBait. Actually, there's uh, for all of your listeners out there, there's a been, there's a fantastic documentary out there. It's called. The Million Dollar Idea, and it's on a website called 20 Feet Deep. And this documentary, I mean, if you ever have 20 Minutes to Kill and you just want to watch the most fascinating story ever, this is it. And it's interviews with Ron Davis and Ron Davis Jr., the guys that invented the original Chatterbait, Mm -hmm. how they came up with the idea, how it came to market, how Z-Man got involved with this whole thing. It's an absolutely fascinating story because – Let's face it. It is a very unique lure. Yeah. And when it came out, it created a category that didn't exist before bladed swim jigs. And now in every tackle shop, there's a category for that. It's not a lure. It's a category. And that's an important distinction with the chatterbait. that it's not just another bladed type of lure. This is an, this is an entire category. Yeah. And, so when it started off it was invented by ron davis um from rad lures and this you know this started happening probably around you know like 2005 around in that frame mm-hmm. when he was really working on it and where it really hit the big time was around 2006 when brian thrift won a tournament on lake toho by a big margin using this lure and of course you know how the bass guys are once somebody wants to turn them on a lure they've never seen before everybody has to have it
2: yeah. yeah and so
4: immediately it just exploded and in fact at that time i remember when that came out because i was still at gamakatsu at the time i remember when this came out and you could actually find chatterbaits on ebay for a 100 bucks a piece wow <laughs> oh yeah because wow. because essentially Rad Lures at the time couldn't keep up the demand that was created by all the hype surrounding this thing. And that's kind of where Z-Man got involved. So Z-Man's history goes back. We've actually been around more than 30 years. But as a consumer brand, we've only been around since about 2008. Prior to that, we were a manufacturer of silicone skirts. So we had a skirt plant here in Charleston that we manufactured skirts for basically every manufacturer out there that made spinnerbaits and jigs at the time. And because we had sources and we had resources and we could get things done, that's about the time that Radlewers approached Z-Man about helping take over the manufacture and distribution of the chatterbait. Because essentially... They couldn't keep up. There was just way too much demand, and they just simply didn't have the resources to handle it, but Z-Man did. Mm -hmm. So that's why they came to Z-Man at the time. So they came to Z-Man. We took over the sourcing and distribution for it, and then what happened was in 2008, we actually bought it outright. So we actually bought the chatterbait and got the patents and everything secured in 2008. That's essentially what started Z-Man on the path of becoming a consumer brand that we are now, was that. So, yeah. go ahead. I, be-
2: I believe the first time I heard of the original Chatterbait was probably 2014.
4: So you're so, late to the game. That's okay.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, was pro- I was probably late. Dude, I, way was late. Just, I was just getting into kayak fishing <laughs> at that time.
4: But that's okay. You, you got to win on it, so that's all good. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, at that time it was very unique. It was a game changer for the entire industry. So that's kind of what brought us into being the Chatterbay company originally. Mm-hmm. And of course, now, you know, we're far beyond just being recognized as the Chatterbay company. We're we've moved way beyond that now. In fact, it, it's Funny, I've actually been on trips recently where people see me wearing Z-Man stuff and like, oh my God, I love your Ned Rigs. Whereas yeah. it used to be, oh my God, I love your Chatterbaits. And now it's like, it for other stuff now? Which is fine. Yeah. yeah, But since then, the Chatterbait as a category has continued to grow. And as you're well aware, we have numerous different offerings within mm-hmm. the Chatterbait family. And the reason that we do that is because we're, we're all fishermen. Everybody that works in a company is a fisherman. I mean, our president, um, Daniel Nussbaum, is a hardcore angler. Um, I think Daniel's probably on a first-name basis with every redfish in Charleston by now. <laughs> you know, seriously, I mean, the guy, I mean, I hate fishing with him because he's so freaking good. It's one of those things it's like, do I let him cast or not? <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you fish with him, he's one of those guys. And you know, and, and I fish, and, and everybody that works with us fishes, we're all anglers. So we all have the same type of passion. And we also understood that once the chatterbait started to take off, we needed to be able to offer different models at different price points with different components to satisfy the needs of all the anglers that are out there. Because, I mean, face it, especially, you know, bass guys are really a picky bunch. Yeah. And they really are. You know, they're the kind of guys that look at a bait and go, "Well, that's really good," but you got to move that one little black fleck from here over to here, and then you got (laughs) something. (laughs) Okay, buddy. That's true. So, you know, so when you look at you know the original ChatterBait, that came out. The next step in the evolutionary process for us was the Elite Series, Mm because we knew that working with our pros at the time, we needed to be able to offer a higher end, higher quality ChatterBait. Um, out there, you know, because the original chowder is a price point item and it always will be. You know, it's one of those things that's designed to be accessible for everybody, you know, and it still catches fish, even though there's all these other models. Bass haven't seen to get, you know, gotten the memo yet that, you know, they can still eat this one. They don't have to take all the newer models, yeah. but each one's designed a little bit different. So, so when we look at the Elite series, the Elite Series uses a Gamakatsu hook on it. It's got a 5-0 Gamakatsu spinnerbait hook on it. The head design is a little bit different than the original. Than that, It's yeah. a little bit flatter and wider than the original. And the blade is connected to not the hook eye, but a wire form at the front of that head. So it's close to the head so that it's designed to make contact with the head You know, on okay. a retrieve. And that's the whole idea behind that. And then we put, you know, a serious keeper behind it. We upgraded all of the components on that to make it truly the elite chatterbait. So that was your next step up in quality was that one. Then from there, what we did is we expanded that into then the Project Z chatterbaits. So the my project one. Z... thank you. I uh, see. <laughs> you know what? We're getting along just fine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's the one I won the tournament on. That's the one see? I've caught all my biggest fish on.
4: It's still personally my favorite as well that's what you know if i if i'm going to throw a chatterbait most of the time it's going to be an elite or not the elite but the project z i just love the action on it um and i think a lot of the reason that the guys like that when you look at it the blade design and the head design are completely different yeah um when you look at the elite yeah the the blades out front and it's more of like a swim jig design yeah you know more of a swim jig head on it and the blades out front, which to me gives it more freedom of movement. Mm-hmm. So one of the knocks on chatterbaits, on for some people, is that they don't always vibrate right away as soon as they hit the water. you got to give them a little start to get them going. Yeah. The Project Z starts vibrating the second it hits the water and there's any tension on it. So it's yeah. vibrating immediately. And it has a little bit of a wider swing to it. It's just different. So for me, that's what drew me to the project Z was like, I love this, you know, the action, the vibrations immediate on it. And then from there, I evolved into taking the skirt off of it and just raising, rigging a straight up razor shad on it without a skirt. And that is my go-to chatterbait now. Really? Yes, it is. I'm going to, I'm going to have to try that. I, I, um, the,
2: I do use the, the razor shad It's
4: a lot better. Well, you know, the razor shad's a great chatterbait trailer, but I think <clears> there yeah. are some situations where I don't want the big booky skirt profile. Mm-hmm. I want the bait fish profile. So in a situation like that, I take that skirt off, I go straight razor shad on a Project Z body. And mm-hmm. then I can take it a step further if I want to throw it into cover, we make the Project Z weedless. Okay. Yeah. So we have the one with the brush guard. And I will tell you this from experience, it is weedless. I have tried to hang that thing up and can't do it. Huh. Um, The first year we came out with that, I had some customers, I took them, I used to do an annual trip out on the West Coast on the California Delta, and I would bring a lot of my dealers and stuff out there. And the first year we had the weedless version of it, I had one rigged up on a client's rod. And he looked at me and said, what's this? I said, well, that's the new weedless project scene. He looked at me with that look in his eye and said, weedless, huh? And I could tell immediately, I'm like, oh, are you going to be that guy? (laughs) (laughs) And he immediately chucked it as far back into the Thule's as he could. There wasn't even water there. It was <laughs> wow. just straight into the tules. Just so that you had that little smirk on his face and he started reeling and it, it came through. So he just, That's he cool. Said, okay, I guess it is weedless. <laughs> so it is, it is a weedless version of it. So when I am fishing around structure and stuff, I tend to go with that. And typically when I fish that, I do take the skirt off and throw the razor shed on there. Um, just so i get that more slender profile on it so that's the project z and the project z is higher end components okay so it's got the mustad fast hatch clip on the front it has a mustad ultra point five-aught hook on there it's got double barb keepers it's got a dual umbrella skirt on it i mean this thing is a souped up chatterbait yeah it really is
2: it's funny you mentioned uh uh the uh thing being such like a swim swim bait type uh, bladed jig i that's what i literally i literally tell everybody that and i feel like that bait shines in grassy situations and i like to throw mine with a, a turbo crawl trailer actually
4: oh that's a good yeah that's a good one too um, yeah. on any of the natural colored chatter baits we typically try to throw the turbo crawl as a trailer on that yeah it was not a shad pattern we use the turbo crawl as a trailer on that yeah that's definitely a good choice on that one But you're right, because, and in grassy situations, one of the things with the chatterbait, when it first came out, it was kind of a seasonal bait. It was one of those things that was just really thrown early in the spring, grass is high, you've got to be able to bring it through grass, and a chatterbait excels in grassy situations. Since then, of course, it's become a year-round go-to bait, because Mm -hmm. there are so many different ways that you can throw it, but um with the project z because the blade is further out in front it does tend to come through that grass pretty clean it doesn't catch a whole lot coming through it pretty much just chops its way through and with that sleek head design it really comes through the grass well i guess why a lot of guys like that it's funny because you know i watch the chatter going on you know online and stuff with guys and you know, everybody loves a jackhammer, which we'll get into, but mm-hmm. you, know, you still got those guys like, no, I'll stick with my Project Z.
2: <laughs> that's me.
4: <laughs> You've probably
2: <laughs> seen my well. comments.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, Man, you, know, you yeah. that
4: same kind of guy. Yeah. That... Know, that's that's the way I'll, I'll do it as well. But, um, you know, we had, so you have the Project Z. Then from there, we moved into, the next thing that came out was the Chatterbait Freedom. Mm-hmm. The one with the swing head design and kind of that, you know, that sleek bullet shaped head on it um, with a wide gap hook on the back that was designed to come out as a weedless chatterbait and that was actually before we had the chatterbait project z weedless we had the freedom so the freedom was designed to be that heavy cover type of chatterbait that you could bring it through the mats the grass timber things like that without it hanging up the thing with the The freedom when it first came out the thing that we a lot of us have realized since then is that it is truly a situational chatterbait It's the one that you want to throw when you are throwing into cover because in open water your hookup percentage is not very good on it The reason is this you're fishing a texas rigged plastic on the back of a reaction bait All right, so those two things don't always go well together And and know, as a real world example, you know back on the Delta Um, We were fishing the thicker tuli so I was throwing the freedom at one time and I was throwing into this patch of tuli's and I caught three straight on that the fourth fish because the water's clear I watched him pursue the chatterbait outside of the tuli's once again he swiped at it and I missed him because you have to remember that your cover take is different than your open water take your cover take is very deliberate fish tend to grab onto things and hold on to them more than what they do in open water Mm -hmm. open water they tend to run at things slash at things you know they're hitting it on the move so it's very very different and when you have a texas rigged plastic on the back of a reaction bait like that your hookup percentage isn't going to be as high because of that slashing take that they're using. So, you know, and I got to see that firsthand. I watched him come out. I watched him swipe at it, and I saw me miss it firsthand. So I immediately understood, okay, look, this is where this bait shines is in the cover because they grab it, they hang on to it. I never missed one in cover. In open water, I didn't get every single one that hit it. So it was one of those things to where, you know, you have to be mindful of where you're throwing each one of these different models. So so we had that. And then, of course, you know, later on came the jackhammer and the jackhammer was actually kind of a funny story, uh, you know, because Brett Height designed that. And there was Mm -hmm. a lot of pressure on us to bring it out. And we debated internally for quite a while as to whether or not we could actually sell a, you know, a $16 chatterbait. It's yeah. like nobody's going to spend that kind of money on one of these things. I mean, it's there's no way, and of course, you know now we can't keep them in stock. Yeah, and you know it's like, well, we should have started at twenty, but you know that everybody loves that thing. And one of the things that does make that different, and each one of these chatterboxes that we've mentioned so far has a different action from the other. Okay, so each one vibrates differently. Each one swims differently. Each one has a different profile in the water. The jackhammer has a little bit smaller profile when you look at it. It's not as big and bulky as, say, a Project Z. It's a little bit smaller profile when you look at the head design and things like that. And the head design is kind of curved on the bottom. Mm -hmm. And the blade is set up front, so it's a very super tight vibration. And it's designed to hunt a little bit more than what some of the other chatterbaits baits do. So on a standard retrieve, it's kind of going to hunt a little bit, go back and forth a little bit. Or if you make the retrieve a little bit more erratic, it's going to hunt a little bit more. And there are a lot of guys that say that's what makes the difference for the jackhammer yeah. is that hunting action, which is one of the things that makes it so effective. Component-wise, high-quality components. It's got a gamakatsu hook on there. Um, it's got a decoy egg snap on there. The blade is actually a different thickness than the original chatterbaits. Okay. So it's a different thickness than the other ones. Um, it's got, you know, a dual keeper on there. It's got a hand tied skirt on it. It's got an elaborate paint job on the head with eyes on there. There are a lot of things that set that apart and people are like, how come it costs so much? The main reason that it's so expensive is because that's the one chatterbait we don't actually manufacture ourselves we have to get it from evergreen yeah. so okay. we have to get it from evergreen overseas which costs that much more because we have to pay them and then we have to get it shipped over you know and then there's you know all the you know additional import fees and stuff like that and it's actually the lowest margin item that we sell as a company yeah
0: it really interesting. is
4: and yeah and we but we had to do that because We had to set that price at a point where we thought it would still be accessible. And that's why I say looking back, I mean, shoot, we could have gone a couple bucks higher, you know, and probably been just fine. But we wanted to try to keep that retail price as low as we could and still cover our cost to import it. Yeah. Having no idea that it was going to explode the way that it has. Yeah. yeah, So there was.
3: uh... (laughs) Go ahead, guys.
4: I was so, gonna I mean, just was...
2: say that if you're not a tur- tournament, if, if you're a tournament angler and you're not using these, man, you're not doing something right
4: because <laughs>
2: it seems like every tournament angler out there is
4: using this bait. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. I mean, pretty much everybody's fishing it. I mean, it, the classic last year was one on it. So I mean, everybody's throwing it. Yeah. You know, everybody has one in their box, and a lot of it is that perceived value that because it is more expensive because of the different action that it will catch more fish. And it's funny because the year that we launched that, um, you know, it exploded immediately. And I, I remember laughing because I got an email from another tournament. It was, I think it was an elite series and event uh, that was won on the original Chatterbait, the four ninety nine dollars 99 <laughs> version. It was like two months after we launched the Jackhammer, which everybody said is the greatest Chatterbait ever. But it's like, well, the bass will still eat the other one.
2: Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah.
4: They didn't know they were supposed to eat the jackhammer, and they still don't know that.
2: It, it's funny you mention that because uh, Derek Brundle was down at the ten for the or the KBF, the 10 Invitational, and he was catching them. He was catching them on the original, but he could not get a bite on the jackhammer. And uh, <laughs> he, he gave one to his buddy, who was like, "Use this, dude. They're biting this. They're not biting the jackhammer." I thought that was funny. That is
4: funny. <laughs> that is funny. And that's the kind of stuff that never makes it to the public viewers, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They all hear about the Jack and how great it is. But like you and I have already mentioned, I mean, I'm still going to go back to the Project Z, or actually it was a couple of weeks ago when I was fishing. I was on an outrageous topwater bite. It died and i looked at my box and i had an original chatter bait already rigged up with a razor shad so i threw that on and immediately started catching fish nice. so i was <laughs> like but this isn't a jackhammer these fish yeah. aren't supposed to hit this yeah you know but yeah. a lot of it's that perceived value if the guy has confidence in what he's throwing he's going to fish better he's going to catch more fish and that's really what it comes down to yeah. you know, if you have confidence in what you're throwing you're going to catch fish you know <laughs> and now we look at so we've expanded the the lineup again since then this last year, we introduced another Freedom Chatterbait called the CFL, mm-hmm. and this one's really cool. This, is, uh, this might start to fall into one of my favorite categories here, as I start to throw this thing a little bit more. I really like this one. This one has a football head. It's a swing head design, but it's a football head, and the blade is super close to the head. So picture you know, a blade on top of a football head really close. Wow. You know it's going to knock the crap out of it. Right. So that blade is knocking back and forth. But the biggest advantage to this design is that it will not ride up. And that's one of the biggest gripes with a lot of chatterbait models is that if you retrieve them too quickly, they will come to the surface. They tend to want to ride up a little bit. This one, when we introduced it at ICAST, I was out at the On the Water event and I would have guys throw it out there and immediately start retrieving as fast as they could. So the bait was still on the surface to see if they could get it to come up to the top and they couldn't do it.
3: Oh, huh. it sounds like a good version of the chatterbait that could be fished like deep and away from the grass then.
4: Exactly. Like on ledges, ledges? Yeah. rock piles, things like that. Because what are football heads really designed for? They're designed for rocky areas primarily. Yep. You know, the football head is designed to work its way through rocks without hanging up. Well, this thing is going to be ideal for those rocky ledges, rocky boulder patches, things like that, where you want that bait down and you want it to stay down the entire time. That's what the CFL does. Mm-hmm. And the price point comes in, I think it's, I think this one is like eleven ninety nine, something like that. So, you know, it's not, you know, super expensive, but it's good quality premium. And it's not as well. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it's a really, really good solid bait. Um, and I think we're going to do pretty well with that one because the guys that throwing it so far are really really liking it.
2: it is that a newer?
4: Vibration. Oh, and the head is actually different. It's actually made out of zinc instead of lead, so it has a different sound.
2: Yeah, it, it, that's that's a newer one you said. Yes,
4: it is. Okay, that's our newest chatterbait. Is that one?
2: Yeah. Okay, I thought I saw that in the stores, but I didn't know what quite quite sure what it was for. So I'm glad you went over that.
3: So is that zinc? Giving like a more high pitched noise yeah. or like a yeah, deeper sound. Yeah, it's a sound.
4: different sound. Yeah, it's a completely different sound than what the lead does. So it's a different vibration, a different sound, and because it's a swing head design, depending on what trailer you put back there, you're going to have a different action than what you get off the regular mm-hmm. of chatterbaits.
2: That's what so, a lot of people say about the jackhammer as well. It gives an even more unique sound.
4: Yes, it is a different sound because of the way that blade makes contact with the head. It's a completely yeah. different sound. Yeah. You know, and it's it's pretty noisy too. It was actually, it was recently, uh, just a few days ago, actually, my distributor in South Africa um, posted a video on his website and had underwater footage of the jackhammer with a microphone. and You could hear it.
2: i, might I was have surprised at
4: seen... how loud that was.
2: Yeah, I might have seen a video by uh, Wired to Fish. They did the same thing with all. They did twelve of them, I believe. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. That that's what gave me the inspiration to ask you to come on the show.
4: (laughs) Yeah, because I mean, they're all different sounds. They're all different actions. Mm -hmm. They all have their place. They all have their application. You know, and a lot of it just comes down to personal preference. You know, from the angler, what do you have? Whatever you have confidence in. You know, so we know what Brad's confident (laughs) bait is. So.
2: Uh, well i i like i like the price point of that one as well i just feel like it's like the best bang for your buck
4: and look and i agree with you i really do the you know when we made the decision to switch a lot of our chatterbaits to that fast hatch clip on the front the reason that we did that is because the original clip design was okay but you know look there were guys that were you know opening the thing or breaking it or whatever Mm -hmm. So when we decided to go to the fast tatch clip, we actually tested that clip for a full week in Venice, Louisiana on bull reds, you know, and if we couldn't open one of those things up on a 30 pound bull red on straight 50 pound braid, then I know the bass guy's not going to open that thing up either. Yeah. Yeah, we never, ever had one fail. And that's when we decided to go with that type of clip. And we slowly kind of did inline changes with a lot of our baits to have that incorporated on all of them.
3: Yeah. I have a quick question, Glenn, regarding like trailers for um, (laughs) for chatterbaits in general. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen a few videos here and there where they talk about trying to match the vibration and you'll see things like the Tech get flipped upside down because they think it, it matches the vibration a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people will kind of use like like Brad likes to use a turbo crawl because right. the turbo crawl will kind of match whatever it's kind of on in a sense by itself. Um, do you think that's important? Do you it's think very it's very sub- important? Yeah,
4: it is. Um, and not so much in matching the vibration as much as it is trying to match up the profile or the action that you need. Yeah. So, for example, like when Brad's using a turbo craw behind one of the chatterbaits, most of those chatterbaits are probably more in the natural color, not typically the shad colors that you're using. And the turbo craw will have a lot of action behind it. Okay, yeah. well, Those two little claws are going to be moving quite a bit behind there. If you look at the razor shad, the razor shad isn't designed to have a lot of action behind a chatterbait. Yeah. And if you actually look at it behind a chatterbait, it's just kind of there, but it just slowly, it's just not even, really it just tight. kind of vibrates a little bit. You know, it doesn't do much, but it's not designed to. It's there to add a bait fish profile to the whole thing. Then if you need additional vibration behind that, that's when guys will go to like the diesel minnow and throw a diesel minnow on behind there because now you've got a paddle tail on the back. So if I have dirtier water, I want to add to that vibration. That's when I'm going to put on a paddle tail behind the back of it because I want that additional vibration. The thing you have to remember (laughs) Excuse me, the thing you have to remember is that that blade is disrupting so much water out front that not a lot of that water is actually going to get to that trailer in the back to force it to move. So you're not going to get quite as much action back behind that bait on some of those trailers as you think you're going to based on its shape. But Right. So when you look at something like a diesel minnow, that's, guys will go to the diesel minnow because it's not only a shad profile, but they do get a little bit more thump behind it. Because it is far enough back and that tail is shaped that it's still going to thump and move back behind the chatterbait, right? So that's when the guys are going to that. And when you go to more of a natural type of color, that's where you want the turbocross because the turbocross is going to have that dual action. It's like a twin tail grub. Yeah. It's going to be moving and, and you know swirling around in the water. So it's not going to create a lot of vibration, but it's going to create a lot of action. Yeah. It's going to disturb a little bit more water and there's going to be a lot more movement behind that bait. So when you think about what a chatterbait is, truly, what it is, it's basically it's the flash of a spinnerbait.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's the
4: vibration of a crankbait in the profile of a jig, and so then anything that you add in behind that is going to accentuate that bait from there.
2: Interesting. Yeah. I never thought about it like that. Mm-hmm. Huh.
3: What's well, even so nicer? It's a combination
4: G-D. of a lot of things.
3: Yeah, and yeah, with the the football head design, one man, that thing would probably be killer with. Like a crawl, to, you know, the turbo exactly. crawl. Exactly,
4: yeah. Like, the turbo yeah. crawl is pretty much going to be the ideal trailer that yeah. most guys are going to be throwing behind that one is pretty much the <laughs> turbo crawl based on how they're fishing it, the depth they're fishing it at. Um, they're going to want the additional action of those you know, little trailers back behind that. Not only that, the other thing that you can do with it, a lot of guys will fish a chatterbait as a jig um, and with a buoyant trailer on the back, like a turbo craw, you can put it on the bottom, rip it, up towards the top let it go back down to the bottom rip it towards the surface again let it go back down and that's one of the presentations that i don't think a lot of guys are doing with the chatterbait Mm -hmm. you know that you don't hear about a lot but it's frequently used by guys fishing deeper water
2: yeah kentucky lake i feel like that one would shine yes
4: yep oftentimes that's where we sell a lot of the heavier versions of the chatterbaits that we have like the project Z. we make up to a one ounce because of that you know, the uh, the jackhammer we make in an ounce and a quarter because of fisheries like that where the guys want to drop it off a ledge, get it down into deep water, rip it up, let it drop back down. And the thing is, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to have a trailer on the back that's going to provide some action and some buoyancy so that it, when it does get to the bottom, it is going to stand up a little bit so it can still be seen. Yeah. Mm.
3: And you did mention something that kind of brought me back to when i first started using one because i remember using it on like i you know brad and i are primarily smallmouth guys we fish rivers Mm -hmm. a lot and i remember first throwing it with some spinning gear and stuff but i would miss a lot of fish and when you were bringing up the fact that you know you're basically fishing a texas rigged you know single hook style bait i remember even when I got into throwing bait casters in my mind the whole time was this is a moving bait. This is a moving bait. Oh, you know, medium action kind of stuff you would throw with crate baits. And I remember I would get hits, but I guess that's kind of where I was falling short as far as like what kind of rod, you know, that I was using in a sense. And I think that's why you're starting to see more and more guys are throwing like medium heavy rods, you know, because you're basically fishing, you know a Texas rig bait that happens to move, like you said, and I I have yet to try that uh, all last year until you kind of mentioned that I, I had never really kind of put that in thought. Like that single hook is going to be hard to throw on like a moderate action medium rod, or you know, to get a good hook set. I guess you know. Right?
4: Yeah, it is. And a lot of times you got to remember you you have to let them load up on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? You know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a reaction bait and a lot of times they're going to swipe at it and hopefully you get them, but still you have to allow them to grab it, load up on it before you really try to drive that hook through them, you know, and it's easier said than done. Cause look, I mean, I'm a smallmouth guy too. I mean, I'm a total smallmouth junkie. Um, you know, living, I lived in Columbia for Columbia, South Carolina for 11 years and I fished the Broad river all the time oh, and yeah. You know, and, and, and my biggest smallmouth ever came on a chatterbait. And that river is a 22 incher. Wow. And yeah, it was, it was a heck of a fish. But, and that was on a chatterbait. And that was one of those ones I had to make sure he loaded up on it first. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was fishing that one more as a jig. I was actually casting up river, working mm-hmm. it back down through a seam line as a jig when he hit that. So I did have the opportunity to let him pick it up, feel it and hit him instead of a lot of times when you're throwing a chatterbait, it's a chuck and wind lure. Primarily yeah. you throw it, you wind it back in. So you're getting a lot of those swiping takes and things like that. So the rod action has to be such that it allows you to let the fish grab it, load up on it before you try to drive that hook through them. Yeah. You want to make sure that they have it. That's yeah. the main thing. And with yeah. reaction lures, a lot of times they don't. I mean, that's just the nature of fishing reaction lures. Yeah. A lot of times it's just, it's an investigative strike. They don't always get it. They just kind of slap at it. You're not always going to get those fish.
2: Yeah. So let me ask you this. Me and Josh are both smallmouth fish, uh, fishermen, as mentioned before. What what bait are you throwing in the river?
4: Um, primarily, actually that biggest one I caught was on an elite series. Okay, those on the elite in the bluegill color, but most of the time, if I'm fishing the river, that's typically where I've pretty much gone to the naked project Z with a razor shed. That's okay. pretty much what I'm throwing most of the time in the river. Um, I just feel like that profile just suits the river fishing better. Um, I, I like the action that I get off of it, uh, I like the control that I have over that particular bait without a skirt on it, and controlling the profile, the action of it, all that. Uh, for me, it's just, you know, it's a confidence thing. So yeah. we all kind of gravitate towards our comfort zone. And for me, that bait is my comfort zone when it comes to smallies in the river. Um, so I, I typically throw that one quite a bit.
3: And do you a, guys offer, like, your, your chatter baits without the skirts? Or? We don't,
4: actually, no. Um, we've looked at that in the past, and I'm not going to say we won't offer it in the future but for right now we don't we just kind of leave it up to the angler yeah um you know you guys pick your trailer you pick the profile you want because honestly if the water's dirty i'm gonna leave the skirt on i want the big profile in dirty water i mean i have to but the broad river typically runs very clear very seldom was i fishing it when it was just blown to hell and just chocolate milk most of the time that river was clear and when that water's clear i take the skirt off every single time
2: C- complete opposite of our rivers here in ohio <laughs> they're always they're always a mess here
4: if they're yeah. dirty then that's typically why you're probably throwing the darker colors <laughs> and using the turbo crawl on the back yep. you need as much noise as you can get out of that thing yep yep
3: i told brad to start adding glass beads to his line too
2: <laughs> <laughs>
4: you should just yeah. start lining up the spacers <laughs> in between them on your line leading up to your bait. So every time you jerk it, it's like click, 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 click. click That's time. funny. Like, somebody's like, you, the fish no, are like, you,
3: is that a boat?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you, you always think of smallmouth. You always think of smaller baits. So I, I, I didn't no. know if you threw like smaller chatter baits or anything not
4: at all no not at all you know to me a smallmouth is a very opportunistic predator fish I yeah mean, they're very aggressive by nature um i've caught them on huge baits in fact i think uh, the one i had to laugh at the most on the broad was i was throwing our streak xl which is an eight inch bait, and i had it rigged on a 12 watt ewg and i put a g stinger on the back of it you know rigged up top just because i mean it's you know, there's no way in hell they're gonna get a twelve out in their mouth. And the first cast I made with that into a pocket, I hooked a sixteen-inch smile mouth who came in without the stinger hook in him, but the twelve out through the roof of his mouth. So wow. you know, so I discount nothing when it comes to smallies. I mean, yeah. they're just aggressive fish. When they want to kill they something, they're going to kill it.
3: That's true. Like I mean, I, I did downsize my swim baits over the you know past couple of years but i mean when i first started throwing them i was throwing the five inch Kitex at them all the time and i you know i caught a lot of big fish like that so you know i just i kind of think that when you you do downsize it just kind of starts to match the hatch a little bit more at least where we live you know yeah. but i mean because it's kind of rare for you to i mean we have big shad in our river systems but um, they kind of come and go real quick. Like I've only seen like big, a big school of big shad. Like I'm talking like over five to six inches, right. like maybe once, you know, mainly, mainly everything that we have around here in Ohio's tends to be on the smaller side. You're looking at three inches or less a lot of times. Right. Yeah. So,
4: well, and that's typically where for me, when I go back, when I'm not throwing a chatterbait in the river, I'm typically fishing, um, our three inch minnows mm-hmm. and, that's one of my go-to baits, and it's also my favorite topwater bait. Is that because I can throw that on an unweighted hook because the material's buoyant? It's basically a surface bait, um, so I can run that across shallow ripples and things like that. Keep it up top, or I'll rig it on like an eighth ounce EWG, and you know I can slow the swimming retrieve down, control the sink rate a lot better. Because, I mean, honestly, what produces a lot of fish is control. Having control over your presentation is really a huge factor. Being able to control my sink rate um, with any bait that I throw is a big factor for me. So I want to be able to control my depth. I want to control my retrieve speed. And that's a big factor for me. So when I am fishing swim baits, I'm either throwing the 4-inch diesel minnow or the 3-inch minnows. Most of the time, the 3-inch minnows, because uh, I tell people for years... Everything eats a everything eats a three inch minnow. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, what doesn't eat that? Everybody eats that. So I throw that quite often, and I do that a lot for smallies because, like you guys said, I mean, I have there's big shad that that come into the broad river. There's lots of them in there, but is that their everyday forage? Probably yeah. not. Their everyday forage is the smaller, more available bait fish that they can run into. So that's what I'm going to try to you know, appeal to them with is that. Yeah.
3: So, Brad, you got anything else?
4: No,
2: I'm just... I'm just sitting here thinking I'm 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 gonna try that uh bait without the skirt
3: man. Brad's brain is just like come it, on. It is I uh, well if he
4: didn't up. have his headphones on, I'd swear there'd be smoke coming out of his ears right now. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. No man,
2: you 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 inspired me to try this. Uh I, I've never thought about putting that uh Razor Shatter Diesel diesel minnow on there. So the diesel minnow is uh one of um oh
3: you know it's it's a it's a great bait like uh, like I've I've used it before and I should actually get kind of into using them more often because yeah. I became a big high tech guy, but one of the huge downfalls to high is its durability. You know, right. and Z Man with their plastics, it's just it's bar none, man. Like oh, yeah. I've I've fished a TRD and caught you know good twenty twenty smallmouth. You know on one little TRD, you know, and that thing would be thrashed, and you're like, yep, it's, it's going to go one more time, you know, one more time, one more time, and it just yep. keeps coming out, and you're like, yep, it's, it, I mean, those baits are so durable, they're even hard sometimes to put on whatever jig, or whatever you're putting on, I was talking to Brad, I was throwing, Brad and I actually went out fishing today, and our conditions were, weren't the great, greatest, I mean, the weather warmed up a little bit, but we still had about a good solid 10 mile per hour winds, to The river only had maybe at best six inches of clarity and it's cold. It's 36 degrees outside. And I, um, I text Brad, I'm like, Hey dude, I have these, uh, Z man micro jigs. And I was like, I'm going to throw these. I'm going to throw, I had the little, um, the, Oh gosh, I think it's like a little crustacean bug. The Um, Yeah. The (laughs) crustacean. So I'm like, dude, this thing is going to be awesome. You know? And then I text Brad, I'm like, dude, I can barely get this thing on. because of the plastic is so durable right. it doesn't want to pass you know by the keeper very well like well yeah.
4: I'll, I'll tell you here's here's a little tip for all your listeners out there is that the key to rigging any z-man plastic onto a keeper is to pull it onto the keeper and not push it onto the keeper because yeah. when you try to push it onto the keeper it wants to push back but if you grab the material and pull it up and over the keeper it'll typically lock on there pretty much. all right but See? you know i mean basically yeah. you know guys fishing plastics for years aren't used to being able to do that with a soft plastic bait, grab it and just pull it up over a keeper without it tearing apart. But this isn't going to tear. So you don't have to worry about that. Grab (laughs) it, pull it up onto the keeper. And that's the best way to do it.
3: It's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of like the same kind of deal you got to do with the, uh, the bullet finesse. Yeah, you do. Uh, Yeah. The little EWG style. Okay. I got you. I I wish I would have thought of that because I've done it with those (laughs) a hundred times.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, I've
4: done geez. them with the turbo pull curls, push. So. Yeah, just pull, yeah. don't push. That's the easiest way to rig it. it, it honestly is. But like I said, most guys aren't used to being able to do that or having to do that with their plastics. Yeah. And going back to your point with like, you know, the diesel minnows and the swim baits, I think one advantage that we do have outside of the durability is we can make our baits softer than a lot of other companies can. Because of that, like the diesel minnow and the regular minnows have such a softer body that it takes nothing to make that tail move. Yeah. Nothing at all. Any movement at all gets that tail immediately going in the water. Because, you know, when you use regular plastics, if you want to make them durable, you have to make them harder. And when you make them harder, you basically kill the action. Yeah. And with our material, we're not worried about it falling apart. So we can make it a little bit softer, giving you a lot more action in that tail than what you can get off of a regular plastic. And I think that, you know, like... You know, what Brad's been using that turbo curl on the back because those claws are so soft. It takes nothing to make those things move behind a jig at all. Yeah. And it's the same thing with a swim bait. You look at the diesel minnow and the regular minnows. It takes nothing to get that tail moving at all behind any jig because it's so soft and we're not worried about it falling apart. So there is a big advantage to that. So, you know, when you're looking for action out of a swim bait, that really gives us a big advantage over the others. Yeah. really has. And with the popularity of the diesel minnow, we've been able to add new sizes. We have a five and a seven inch version of that thing now too. So we've been able to expand that even more because the guys are like, Oh my God, I love this beta. wish well, you had a bigger profile in it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I want a bigger chunk of meat out there that wiggles. I was like, all right, cool. I got one for you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you
3: know?
4: Well, yeah. we
2: just, we just hit an hour here so we can start winding this down. Uh, unless josh has any other questions i'm yeah. i'm done i mean
3: yeah i think glenn covered it glenn i do appreciate you coming on and talking to us man
2: i
4: will tell you this josh if you know if you could do me a favor like after you get about 15 fish on TRD, would you just cut it off and put on a new one please Come <laughs> brother out here okay i got a kid in college man I
3: mean, uh, come on. i'm sorry but i mean that thing is i was Brad and i were laughing we're out there and i'm like i've got this trd man i was like it's covered in grass still it's like it was a mess and i'm like but it <laughs> there's not like a single tear on it like yeah
2: <laughs> I, I think uh, i've caught probably close to 25 fish on one trd in a day oh i believe
4: before. it yeah yeah i mean I, it. It. I think the the best we ever had was we had a guy send in um a four inch uh finesse worm that caught 238 bass wow um, uh, was it 238 bass there was like six crappie and a couple of warm mouth or something. it was just like stupid statistics on this thing. Wow. You yeah. know. Yeah. That, that's well, crazy.
3: I, one thing, you know, like you said, like, it's real nice. Cause you guys have the buoyancy too. And a lot of times yes. when you get the buoyancy. buoyancy it's
4: just a big factor. Yeah. Look at like when you rig a swim bait, do you want it rolling over, falling over? No, you want it keeled. You want it balanced. You want yeah. it straight in the water. Right. So when you rig a swim bait on a weighted EWG style hook, and you use a material like a LazTech, it's going to be balanced and keeled every time. So you right. could stop that thing dead and it'll sit on the bottom upright. Yeah. It won't roll over, or fall over. You know, and for us here in Charleston, it's a huge factor for us. And you know, when we use weighted EWGs or things like our weighted chin locks, it keeps us out of the oyster beds. Because that bait is not going to roll over or grab oysters or anything like that. It's going to just simply just come right over the top of those oysters and never fall over or roll over. And regardless of my retrieve speed or, you know, letting it sink to the bottom, I know exactly what that bait is doing every second it's in the water. And that goes back to what we mentioned about control. Controlling your presentation is what produces fish. And that's a big factor right there. Having that control and that buoyancy is a major factor in your control over your presentation.
3: Yeah, I mean, if you got baits that are falling over, can you imagine you're a fish and you're sitting there like, oh, that looks good.
4: Oh, Why it did just, it just fall over like good. that? <laughs> 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 What's happening? Hey, that yeah. looks, oh, no. Nope,
3: that's garbage. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Never mind. I was going to eat it. And then, that's no, funny. no, I'm not going to. <laughs> that's funny.
3: All right, Glenn. Well, like I said before, we do appreciate you coming on. Um, anytime I appreciate you, you feel the like you
4: guys are awesome. Yeah. Thanks. If you feel
3: like uh, ever coming on the podcast, just reach out to Brad and I. You know, we'll be more than happy to have you back on.
4: Yeah. I'd love to do it again. I mean, we have, there's so many techniques and different things out there to talk about when it comes to fishing that I'd be hey. happy to come on and uh, talk to you guys anytime.
2: I need to uh, refer you over to our Bass Fishing for Noobs segment. Yeah. There you go. He 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 love he talks techniques with like big anglers all across the industry. So that'd be cool.
4: Yeah, I'd love to do it. Anytime for you guys. Anytime.
2: Thanks. So do you got any uh, uh anybody you'd like to thank, sponsor shout outs, uh where people sponsor can follow?
4: My employer, Z Man. <laughs> yeah, <won>. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, honestly, I'm you know, one of the luckiest people on the planet. I really am. I'm very fortunate to be doing what I'm doing and I and mean, you know, I tell people all the time that even if I didn't work for Z-Man, I'd still be fishing this stuff just because yeah. I just I just love the quality. Um, I love the control and everything I get out of fishing with this kind of stuff. And, you know, I encourage people to get out and fish as often as they can. And that's really what this is about. Just get out and have fun. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of tournament guys out there that are highly competitive. I'm not, honestly, and... Going in as many decades as I've been in this industry, I can count on one hand the number of actual tournaments I've fished in my <laughs> life. Seriously. Yeah. You know, when I fish, it's for me. I just yep. love to just take the kayak out and just go float around by myself in just total solitude where it's nice and quiet and just enjoy some time on the water. You know, that's yep. what it's about for me. I just love to go out and fish. You know, and it's always fun when I to have buddies go out and, yeah, I'll get competitive with them. Yeah, I really good competitive <laughs> with it. So, uh, God forbid any of the young guys that work for me, you know, start to outfish me it gets, better, gets bad <laughs> then but. <laughs> Awesome But, you know, it's it's one of those things that I, I enjoy every second I get on the water and the reason that I get on the water is because I truly enjoy it, it's not to win prizes or anything or to shoot videos it's just, for me, just to enjoy my time on the water, enjoy the resources that we have here because they're, fin- they're fantastic
2: okay. Yeah, definitely Uh, Where can people follow you on uh, social
4: media? Um, Actually, if they wanted to follow me personally, it would be uh, at uh, Fish Rockstar, which actually that would be, there's really an annoying story behind that we won't get into, but um, (laughs) it's actually Fish underscore Rockstar behind that, because I do have a musician background thingy that's tended to haunt me and follow me the rest of my life. (laughs) So, but they can do that. And then, you know, at Z-Man Fishing. um, for sure on, on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, cause I mean, we're constantly posting things. We love to share pictures that we get from people who follow us, you know? So if you're not following Z man right now, you need to, there's some great content on there. We post our videos on there. We're always refreshing it. And like I said, when people show us cool stuff, we love to share it with everybody else.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
4: You know. Yeah. You know, so if you want to get a fish picture in front of, you know, 270,000 people, it's probably a good way to do it. Just send it to us.
2: <laughs> yeah. You, you better watch <laughs> out.
3: Brad's going to be loading you guys up with pictures now.
2: <laughs> tagging you tagging you every time I catch a fish on the bradder. Oh, there you go.
4: There you go. I'm be looking for it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Uh, again, uh, thank you for coming on the show, Glenn. Uh, we'll talk to you some, some time down the road, I'm sure. And uh, you have a good night.
4: All right, you guys too. Thanks a lot again. I really appreciate the time. You guys are fantastic.
2: Thank you, McLean. All Thanks. Right, buddy. Have a good night, All right. everybody.
4: All right, bye. See ya.
1: Go check out the website, guys. Paddle, the letter N in fin.com. Also, check out YouTube. YouTube.com forward slash Paddle and Finn. If you got a question, comment, but want to hear from a future guest, feel free to email us at Paddle, the letter N in Finn, at gmail.com. Don't forget to... Follow us on social media. We're doing giveaways, announcements, things like that at Facebook and Instagram at Paddle and Finn. Shout out to our show supporters. Rocktown Adventures, Loveland Canoe and Kayak, Hammered Lures, Fish Mob Lures, TRC Covers, Catch Products. Go to catchproducts.com. You can put the Paddle and Finn logo right on your catchboard. Don't forget to go over and pick up your Jigmasters jigs. Use promo code PNF20 and save 20% today. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to.